Good morning. It's good to be back here at Grace Baptist Church. Like Dorothy said, there's no place like home, and I am glad to be home. But I appreciate your prayers for me while I was gone to Africa. It was a joy to be there, a joy to be able to preach God's Word some 19 times. I was supposed to preach 21 times, but one day I had to stay in because of sickness but I am thankful that the Lord quickly healed me and I was able to get back on track. But I appreciate your prayers and I ask that you continue to pray for African Pastors Conference as they continue the conferences there in various countries and that God would use those conferences to bring many people to Christ and to bring about reformation in churches. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this privilege that we have to worship you this day. We pray that our worship so far has been acceptable to you, that it has been a sweet aroma to your nostrils. We thank you, Father, that because of Christ, we're able to come into your presence and able to worship you in truth and spirit. We thank you, Father, for the forgiveness that we have in him and him alone. Calls us, Father, to be mindful of this great salvation that he has purchased for us. Calls us to meditate upon this truth as we seek to worship you as we study the scriptures this morning, knowing that you only accept those who have come to you through Christ in saving faith. We pray, Father, that as we think about the words that Christ speaks here in this passage, that we would understand them, that we would see the seriousness of them, that we would be able to comprehend them and rightly apply them to our lives so that we might be prepared to stand before him and that we might hear the words, enter into my kingdom, thy good and faithful servant. Instead of hearing, depart from me, I never knew you. We pray, Father, for those who are unable to be with us. You know their reasons and their needs. We pray especially for those, Father, who would be sick, that your healing hand would be upon their body, that you would restore their health and bring them back to us quickly. We pray for those who are away, that you would give them safety of travel, bless their time as they worship together in another body, and that they would benefit from that. We pray for those, Father, who would not be here due to lack of concern, that you would cause them to see the importance of not forsaking the assembly of the brethren. Bless our time together. Bless our sister churches throughout the world that are preaching the gospel this day. Bring many into your kingdom to bring honor and glory to your name. And this we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn again with me to Matthew chapter 7, and we'll read verses 21 through 24, 23. Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice 
lawlessness. Let me remind you that we are at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is drawing things to a conclusion, and He does this by giving certain tests that He wants to make sure that we make application of. There's three particular tests that He has begun to give us. First, the test of making sure that you have entered the narrow gate, that you were on the narrow road. Second, the test to make sure that you are bearing biblical fruit, that it's evident that you're a child of God because of the fruit you are bearing. And then third, we have the test of obedience, making sure that you have put into practice that which Jesus has spoken here in the Sermon on the Mount. And the last time we were together, I gave you an overview of the verses that we just read, verses 20 through 21 through 23. Today I want us to dig a little bit more deeper into these verses and see this solemn quote that Jesus gives us, one of the most solemn quotes in Scripture. Matter of fact, R.C. Sproul says, this is the scariest passage in the New Testament. Jesus is stressing the narrow way the way of salvation that He has given. And we see the importance that everyone who professes to be a follower of Christ makes sure that he has entered the narrow gate and that he is on the narrow road. We have this exhortation from Jesus because there are so many that believe that the road is broad, that there's many ways to Christ, that you can live a worldly life and that you can be a member of a church or some religious group. It doesn't matter whether you attend or not. As long as you are a member attached to some group, then therefore it's okay in their eyes. And that's what Satan does. Satan deceives people thinking that they can live a life that is contrary to what Scripture says and that they still will enter into heaven. Now, of course, we know that Satan is the great deceiver. He began to deceive there in the garden of Adam and Eve. He deceived Eve by convincing her that it was okay to eat the fruit, to go directly against what God had said. Now, we see that Jesus points out that that is false, that that is the broad road. And he speaks of those that are active in their religion here. They were very involved. I mean, look at the works that they did that Jesus mentions here. But yet those very ones, he tells us, were deceived. He reveals how easy it is to be deceived. We see that this teaching is throughout Scripture. We see it in the Old Testament. Jeremiah tells us that the heart is very deceitful. Above all things, who can know it? So he's pointing out that there's times that we don't even know our own heart. The only one that can know it is God himself. So therefore, we must go to God and ask God to reveal to us our heart. Now, Jesus, of course, taught the same truth. He said in Mark chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, For from within, out of the heart, comes evil thoughts, Sexual immorality, thieves, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. 
All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. I mean, there's times in your own life you may do something and you think to yourself, where in the world did that come from? Where did that thought come from? Where did that act come from? Well, guess what? Jesus tells us right here. He says it comes from the heart. Our hearts can be more deceitful than we would ever expect them to be. And this is why Jesus gives us this warning here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And he gives us a very vivid picture. I mean, you can see it in your mind. You can see individuals standing for Jesus, laying out all that they did. And then Jesus gives them these words, depart from me. I never knew you. This is not a fairy tale. This is the living word of God. It's reality. There's coming a day. There's a judgment day that is coming. And it grieves my heart that there are those that sit here this day and they will hear Jesus say these words to you. Do you hear me? I wish that was not true. But if you continue to reject Jesus and continue to live a life that you think is pleasing to God, but yet it is not pleasing to God, you will hear Jesus say these words to you. We see that right up to the very moment of truth, at the judgment seat of Christ, there are those who will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ thinking that they will be welcomed into glory. But they are badly mistaken. Now there's two reasons why they think they are okay. There's two reasons why they think they're going to enter into glory. First, they think they're going into glory because they have said the right words. Lord, Lord. See, they called Jesus by His title, Kyrios. They recognize Him as Lord. Now, this is an amazing truth. Yes, He is Lord. He is Redeemer. He is the Messiah. And many think that they can have Jesus as Savior without bowing to His Lordship. But not these. These people called Him Lord. But yet they were badly mistaken. See, when our heart is not changed by grace and we do not become a new creature, then we are foolishly deceived. See, when God changes our heart, then we do seek to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We recognize Him as our Lord. What did doubting Thomas say when the risen Lord stood before him after he had doubted that he had risen from the grave? He said, my Lord and my God. And these who stand before the Lord, they call Him Lord, Lord, stating, I have a deep personal affection for you, Jesus. I know you intimately. I have taken you as my Savior. But they're badly mistaken. But not only do they call Him Lord, Lord, and He's not their Lord. Second, they trust in what they did. I mean, they actually did these things that are mentioned here in Scripture. They did all of them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So these are the two reasons that they thought that they would be welcomed into glory. Listen to what Jesus said in the parallel passage in Luke 6, 47. He says, why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? He's referring to these people. These people called him Lord, Lord, but did not do the things he said. In other words, Jesus said, I don't know you. You must say, you know me. You went to church. You were pastors, preachers, missionaries, deacons, Sunday school teachers, servants, tithers. But I do not know you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. Do you see why R.C. Sproul's calls this one of the scariest passages in Scripture? See, Jesus is talking about church members. Those who have made a public profession of faith in Him. Those who claim to know Him personally. That's the ones Jesus is talking about. And in the final analysis, the question will be, do you, no, not do you know Jesus, But, does Jesus know you? See, that's the important question. Does Jesus know you? See, Jesus states that judgment is coming for those who honor Him with their lips, but their hearts are far from Him. What about you? This is a heart issue. Has your heart truly been changed by grace to where you can say, Jesus knows me? See, there's no doubt that they are shocked when Jesus responds to them and says, I do not recognize you as my child. Get out of here. I never want to see you again, you lawless people. Now Jesus is being very gracious in giving us this warning. He's giving gracious, calling us to heed His words. Now I want us to look at some biblical examples to help us understand this passage better. Because these who stand before the Lord say that they prophesied, cast out demons, and did many wonders in Jesus' name. Well, first of all, there are those in Scriptures who did wonderful things in the name of God who were not saved. This morning in our Old Testament reading, we read the story of Balaam which is found there in Numbers chapter 24. He was an Old Testament prophet. But we see that he was not obedient to the Lord. King Balak wanted him to curse Israel. So he sends his men over to hire Balaam to come. But what did God tell Balaam right at the very beginning? What did He tell him? Do not go. But he didn't obey God. 
because he was enticed by the riches that were offered to him, so he went. Now we see that God did use him, for the Spirit of God came upon him, and he said some very marvelous things about God's covenant people, even though Balak could not curse Israel. Balaam could not curse Israel. Now, the New Testament reveals to us that Balaam was a reprobate. Revelations 2.14 says, But I have a few things against you, speaking to the church there at Perga, because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam. They were holding to the doctrine of Balaam. Well, what was the doctrine of Balaam? Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. And then 2 Peter 2.15 says, They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Peor, who loved the rages of unrighteousness. So we see that even though he was an Old Testament prophet, he was not a child of God. It was not that though he lost his salvation. No, he never was truly a child of God, even though God chose to use him. And God shows his disobedience. Now, we also see in Luke chapter 11 that Jesus sent out 72 disciples. He sent them out in pairs. And they had wonderful powers, ability to do great signs and wonders. Now, we know among that 72 had to be Judas. Judas was what? The son of perdition. We know that he was not a believer. We know that he was the one ordained to deny Jesus and be the traitor. But not only was there Judas, there evidently were others in that 72 who likewise were not true followers of Christ. Remember in John chapter 6 that there was a huge multitude of disciples following Jesus from one side of the lake over to the other side after Jesus had fed them. And then Jesus began to teach that He was the bread that had come down from heaven, that He was the bread of life. And they said, this is a hard teaching. And they began to reject it. And when you get to the end of John chapter 6, you see that all of them except the 12 had left. And Jesus turned to the 12 and said, will you leave me too? So we saw, see that a multitude of people left Jesus because of the hard teaching. Some of those were probably in this 72. Had done great and wonderful things by the power of God. See, this is why Peter warns us. And says, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. We are to be diligent to make sure that our calling and election is of God. Now second, what is the defect in these people's lives? They said that they know the Lord, but He doesn't know them. The answer is stated twice. Everyone who says, Lord, Lord, but only him who does the will of my Father. It is clear that they refused to do the will of the Father. And Jesus calls them what? 
lawless ones. Now in the Greek, literally translated, it has the word law, and in front of the word law is the negative. So in other words, anti-law, against the law, antinomian. See, they were unsubmissive to God's law. In the beginning, when God made man, what distinguished man from all the other creatures that God had created? Well, man was attached to God by the ambiblical cord of divine law. God only gave man the law. And there was one law that He gave man. You remember it, children? God came to Adam and He told Adam what? But of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That was the only law that God gave man. Do not eat of the tree. Now as long as they were in submission to God's law, they enjoyed paradise. But when Satan came and he deceived Eve and got her to eat and she gave to Adam... What happened? Paradise ended because they became lawless. See, we know that the entire human race also became lawless because Adam was our federal head. When he became lawless, we became lawless. We all became carnal, unregenerate. And Paul tells us because the carnal mind is what? Is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So what is Paul telling us there? That a carnal mind, a worldly mind, a lost person cannot be subject to the law of God. It's impossible for him to be subject to the law of God because his mind is unregenerate. And his mind is at enmity against God. He hates God and he hates the things of God. And he hates God's law. Now he might not demonstrate it openly, but yet it's evident in his disobedience to God's law. And we see it in redemption history. Throughout the very beginning, time and time again, we see how man was lawless. The majority of people were lawless, all except Noah and his family. And therefore God sent a flood and destroyed all of them except for Noah and his family. Millions of people died in the flood because they were lawless. They rejected God's law. And we continue to see it throughout history. All the way down to Balaam. God said, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. But Balaam disobeyed and went. So just like Adam, who was told, do not eat of the tree of knowledge 
of good and evil. Do not eat it. And he disobeyed. God even sent an angel and allowed the donkey to see the angel and allowed the donkey. I remember this TV show, Mr. Ed. Some of y'all remember that old enough. The donkey speaks to Balaam and warns, tries to keep him from being killed. And finally, God opens the eyes of Balaam to see the angel of the Lord. God repeatedly said to him, do not go. But Balaam had his eyes set on the riches. Now, Balaam did speak the truth to the king. He stated exactly what God told him to state. He did not twist the words of God. And he said he could not twist the words of God. He had to give him exactly what God would say. Now you may be thinking, well, that's a good prophet. No, because he was disobedient from the beginning. He was a disobedient prophet. For when God clearly told him, don't go, he went. He disobeyed the word of God. He did it because his heart was sinful and desired the riches of the world. Just like King Saul. Remember, God told him to destroy all the Amalekites. And all of their possessions, don't save anything, destroy all of it. Children, what did he do? Well, he destroyed only those things that he wanted to destroy. He even let the king live and kept the best of the best. He disobeyed God. And from that point, we see that God rejected him as king. So we see that Saul also was disobedient, unwilling to do what God commanded him to do. And it revealed that his heart was attached to worldly possession, that his heart was not regenerate, that his heart also was evil. Now he tried to justify his actions, didn't he? Remember when Samuel came and Samuel's sitting there, standing there talking to him and he hears this bleeding of the sheep and asks Saul, well, Saul, what is that bleeding of the sheep that I hear? Well, well I saved the best for God. So that we could sacrifice to God the very best. I mean, wasn't that a wonderful thing? I mean, a sacrifice for God. Isn't that impressive to God? Wasn't God pleased with that? No, He was not pleased with that. Why? He disobeyed the Word of God. He was unsubmissive to the Word of God. And God rejected Him as King. God takes His Word seriously. When he tells us, don't do it, we better not do it. And we see it from each of these examples. What did Samuel say to Saul? Has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice? As in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. That's what God desires of you and me. For us to obey Him. 
Now, a child of God will not always obey, but when he's disobedient, the Spirit of God will bring conviction of sin into his heart. And as a result of that conviction, he will repent just as David repented. My God, my God. And wonder why in the world he did those things to disobey God. But neither Balaam nor Saul repented of their sins. Jesus told a parable over in Matthew chapter 21. Turn with me there. Matthew chapter 21. There in verse 28, and he says, speaking Jesus and said, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you what authority I do these things. After they asked Jesus what authority he had to do what he was doing. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first, and he said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterwards, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the father's will? They said to him, the first. Jesus said then, Surely I say to you that tax collectors and harlots entered the kingdom of God before you. What do we see there? We see that obedience. Even though there was hesitation as far as obedience in the first son, he was obedience to what his father commanded him to do. So on judgment day, there will be many that stand before Jesus thinking that they were obedient because they were obedient with their lips. Father, I'll do it. But their life was not obedience. And it was revealed in their disobedience. And it revealed that they were lawless ones. Their heart was never changed. They did not seek to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But instead, they loved their self. Just as Saul loved himself, and just as Balaam loved himself, and just as Judas loved himself. They were full of pride. And they were law unto themselves. See, when it came down to it, When God told them to do something they did not want to do, they didn't obey. Instead, they did what their evil heart desired to do. And it will not help any of them to say, but Lord, look. Look at all these good things that I did over here. Doesn't that make up? For my disobedience? No. Why? Because there was no real submission to God's will. Churches in America are full of those who are autonomous. Those who are unwilling 
to submit to God's authority. There's those within the Southern Baptist Convention like that. I mean, just recently we saw it. There's those who are unwilling to submit to God's authority. God says that men are to be pastors. But there's those that say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't think God's very clear on that. Well, God's clear on it, and I'm not going to take time to make it how clear God is. See, the problem is not with the Word of God. The problem is with their heart. Their heart is unsubmissive to the Word of God. And when you're unsubmissive to the Word of God, you're just like Saul, you're just like Balaam, you're just like Judas. Your heart needs to be changed. See, when they're put to the test, to the test of obedience... And they don't want to do the thing God tells them to do. They say, no, thank you, God. See, they're just like the rich young ruler. Oh, yeah. He says, I want to be saved. I want to know you, Lord. I want to follow you, Lord. Okay, go sell everything you got. Give to the poor and come and follow me. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Lord. You don't realize how much riches I have. I mean, my riches would be good in the kingdom of God. Let me use them for your benefit. Go sell everything God, give to the poor, and come follow me. He went away because he was rich. He had much. See, he was unsubmissive to the Lord. Let me be very practical. Hebrews 10, 25 says, Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the habit of some, but exhort one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, of course, Hebrews is speaking of what? The fourth commandment, which teaches that we are to have a day of worship. A complete day that is to be different from the six other days of the week. A day of rest in the Lord. And God has given that to us for our own spiritual benefit and for us to worship Him, for us to set our mind upon Him. Is your heart submissive to God's command? How do you respond? How you respond reveals whether or not you have a new heart. Do you understand that? How you respond to all of God's commandment reveals whether you have a new heart or not. If you have a greater desire to be out on the lake today skiing or water sports or being at some sporting event or going shopping or or you name it, something else besides being here, then it reveals a cardinal heart. A heart that longs for the things of this world instead of the things of God. See, when you're born again, God gives you a new appetite. An appetite for the things of God. And what are the things of God? Well, the number one thing of God is what? Worshiping God with His people on His day. Hebrews 8, earlier passage, than the Hebrews 10 passage that I just mentioned there, speaks of the new covenant. 
Beginning there in verse 8, because finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put what? My laws in their mind and write them on their heart. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Did you hear that? They shall be my people. Not maybe. They shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, none of them brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will have mercy on their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that, he says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So we see that the writer of Hebrews speaks about the new covenant, which speaks about the new heart, which speaks about being born again. Those who have been born again love God's law. What is God's law? God's law is the Ten Commandments. Now, of course, the Ten Commandments can be expanded, but let's zero in on the Ten Commandments and bring it down to the main two. Love God, love your fellow man. All of the laws hang on that. And therefore, a person that's born again loves the law of God. Now, there are those who do not like the Fourth Commandment, that God requires of them to give one day to Him. Why do they not like the fourth commandment? Because their heart has not been changed. I'm just putting it blunt, folks. I don't want anyone here to be deceived by what the Word of God says. There must be a change of heart. If there's not a change of heart, you cannot love the Lord. You cannot love His day. You cannot love the other nine commandments either. It's a change of heart. That has to take place. And when grace changes a man of heart, he has a completely different view of the fourth commandment. He desires to meet with God's people. He desires to worship the Lord God. Sunday becomes a special day for him. It's not a day where he wakes up on Sunday morning and says, Well, I don't know whether I'm going to church today or not. I don't know. I just don't, I don't know if I feel good. You want me to tell you something? I didn't feel good this morning. For 34 hours, I was trying to get home. Slept maybe four hours. And that still has affected me. So I didn't feel real good this morning. So I could have given in and said, well, look, I've had a hard trip to Africa and a hard trip. I'm just going to call and let Hal preach this morning. No way was I going to let Hal preach this morning. (laughs) Because I wanted to be with God's people. Preaching God's word. Praying that the Spirit of God might use me to bring about conviction into the life of those who are lost. See, the natural man is miserable. 
You're miserable right now if you're natural. You're saying, shut up so I can get out of here and go do what I want to do, see? That's the natural man. He doesn't want to worship God. He can't wait to get out of church. He wants to do what his heart wants to do. He desires the worldly pleasure. He can't stand a sermon like this. He'd rather be anywhere else than in this place today. Only the person that is a beatitude person has this desire. He that is poor in spirit hungering and thirsting for righteousness. He who loves Christ's church and loves His worship and loves to serve Him. See, the tragedy is that many people are able to convince themselves that all is well with their soul when it isn't. You say all is well, but it is not well. This is why Jesus Christ makes this strong warning at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He makes it very clear that there are those who call Him Lord, Lord, doing a lot of good things, which proves nothing. If you're not truly submissive to the will of God. Finally, what's the solution? How can you know that you will not hear those words from Christ? The great theologian Stephen Sharnock said, It is impossible to honor God as we ought unless we know Him as He is. Did you hear that? It is impossible. To honor God as we ought, unless we know Him as He is. Do you understand what He's saying? You cannot honor God. You cannot please God unless you first have a saving personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And if you have a personal saving relationship through Jesus Christ, you will know what He requires. See, God has revealed Himself in Scripture. He has revealed Himself through His Son. So the only way you can know God is through Christ. He Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by Me. Jesus did what we couldn't do. Perfect obedience. He wasn't like Balaam. He wasn't like Saul. He wasn't like Judas. There in the garden, he said, Not my will, but thy will be done. I mean, think about it. Hadn't Jesus already done enough? All the wonderful things that he had done. Why did he have to go to the cross? Why did he have to die? Hadn't he obeyed the Father enough? 
He had obeyed Him in everything. Why the cross? Wasn't His lifetime obedience enough? He didn't argue with the Father. He said, Thy will be done. This statement must be repeated by every real Christian. When God calls you to obedience, what is your response? Is it thy will be done? Or do you want to argue with God? See, our hearts must be submissive. We may not understand, but we said, Lord, thy will be done. Whatever your will is, I want to be in the center of your will. We see that in Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the great heroes of the faith, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and even Samson and David. Why are they called the heroes heroes of the faith? Was it because they obeyed God perfectly? No, we know that. But it was evident that they were all believers because they showed submissive spirit to God's commands. When they did disobey, they repented. And we see that by faith they did what God required of them. Over and over again it says what? By faith, by faith, by faith. They trusted God, they believed God, they obeyed God, submitted to God. Now there's times in our life when we will know what God's will is. And there will be that inner battle. We call it spiritual warfare. That's what Paul calls it. That's why we must put on the whole armor of God because we're in a spiritual warfare. Do I obey God? Or do I obey the desires of the flesh? The outcome reveals whether or not you are a child of God. Are you submissive to God's will? Jesus said, you are my disciples if you keep my commandments. Now, you don't keep His commandments to be saved. You keep His commandments because you're saved. Do you understand that? I'm not preaching a works-oriented salvation. I'm preaching a salvation that reveals that you're saved because of your works. You're saved. It gives evidence. Your works give evidence that you're saved. Your works don't save you. And that's what Jesus is saying. You are my disciples if you obey my commandments. It's evident. John says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God that whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments. And those things are pleasing in His sight. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. And he does not love his brother abides in death. So another evidence of being born again is that you love the brethren. You want to worship with the brethren. You want to fellowship with the brethren. 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments 
And his commandments are not burdensome. We love them just as David loved them. We live in a day when many churches in America are antinomian against the law of God. They have no real love for God's law, which reveals that they have no real love for God. You see that? If you don't love God's law, then you're revealing you don't love God. Because God is the one that has given us His law, and God is the one that has told us to obey His law. And God's very clear. And when He demands of us something that we don't want to do, if we're unwilling to submit to it, if we reject it, as many say, oh, well, that's Old Covenant, Old Testament. See, what it boils down to is that they are unwilling to submit to the authority of Scripture. So on Judgment Day, they will be shocked that Jesus rejects them. Only one reason is given, and what is that? Lawless ones. They were lawless ones. They did not bow to the Lordship of Christ. Even though they called Him Lord, Curios, Master, Owner, Possessor, Sovereign One, a term of respect of various force. You may have a long, impressive list of religious things that you have done. You may be even... Up there with Mother Teresa and Gandhi. I saw a video recently talking about Mother Teresa and Gandhi. Two people that changed the world. I'd say two people that destroyed the world. Because they thought they were righteous. They thought that their righteousness would get them to heaven. And many people think the same thing. They look to them and say, what they got into heaven, I can get into heaven by my works. So the bottom line is that you must have a new heart. A new heart that is submissive to God's will. And that new heart only comes from being born again. Because being born again will enable you to submit to the Lord. I can't give anyone a new heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can give you that heart. Only the Holy Spirit can take out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh to where you will love God as you ought. You must cry out. To God for a new heart. But you will not do it unless you see your need for a new heart. Because see, if you don't see your need for a new heart, you're not going to cry out for a new heart. Until your eyes are opened 
so that you see your sinfulness, that you see your rebellion against God, to see that you're a lawless one, you will not cry out to Him. My prayer is that God will open your eyes to see that you need a new heart, that you're headed for an everlasting hell, and you will hear Christ say, Depart from me, I never knew you. May God be gracious to you, a sinner, so that you will cry out, so that you will receive a new heart, so that you will be submissive to God in all things, so that He is truly Lord, Lord of your life. If this doesn't happen in your life, you will hear those words, Depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. Let's pray. Father, I agree that this is the scariest passage in the New Testament. And I pray, Father, that those that do not know Christ would be scared literally to death to the point to where they would cry out to you for a new heart. Oh, how I pray that your Spirit would do that work that only He can do of opening eyes to see their lost condition so that they might turn to Christ in true repentance and look to Christ in Christ alone. Work by thy spirit to bring honor and glory to thy name. And this we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.